From the most ancient civilizations to today, helmets and breastplates have been a staple of warfare. In this lesson, guest teacher Levi Mattis discusses the importance of what righteousness and salvation mean for the people of God. All this and more as we continue our year of the family. I'm Philip Jackson, and this is the Married Now What Podcast. One of my favorite parts of teaching is getting to see how the Lord is working in people's personal quiet times leading up to lessons. Because without fail, every single time I've gotten up to teach, I'll be like, you know, whether Philip asks it or I ask it, you know, what's the Lord showing you guys? You'll you'll do half the lesson yourselves. Just, But it, it's always really encouraging to just see how the Lord is preparing everybody's hearts for the lesson to come. And that's one of my prayers is, as I prepare, is not only would my heart be ready, but that your guys' hearts would be ready, and the Lord is faithful every time. So uh, the reason I bring that up is we're talking about the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit this morning, and so much in testimonies and even prayers, it's how do we display Christ more? We spend time in the Word. How do we know the Lord's will? We spend time in the Word. We spend time with Him, and so we're going to get to look at that this morning. So if you haven't been here uh, for the last four weeks, or if it's your first time, or just serving as a refresher, we're going through Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, the armor of God. And what we're doing is we're looking at how this isn't just some clever marketing illustration that Mardell's capitalized on by giving this plastic shield and helmet to a bunch of little kids, but we're looking throughout the Old Testament to see where God himself has worn this, these very pieces of armor. Last week, we looked at the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, and those were very clearly, like without question, worn by God um, in Isaiah, worn in prophecy and judgment against the people of Israel. Um, and, and in defense at other times as well, during exile, he would serve, or he, he would wear this armor when he went to, to fight on behalf of, of his people. So, when you read this, let that sink into your head. This isn't just some cute little thing that we can go buy at a bookstore or, or somewhere else, but this is the armor of the Lord that as his children we get to wear. Um, the first week that I talked about this, I kind of talked about Mulan, how when Mulan shows up with her father's army conscription, they're like, whoa, that's your dad? That's him? Like, that's his sword? That's how we get to show up to do spiritual battles. We get to show up and say, bring it on because I'm here with the authority of Christ. I'm here under, under the protection and the power of the Lord who's already defeated you once. I'm showing up already victorious in the Lord's power. So uh, it, it's an exciting passage. I'm loving getting to go through this with you guys. Um, so I'll go ahead and I'll read uh, verses 10 through 18 just to remind us of where we're at. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So this morning we're going to talk about the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. So one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And if you've ever seen it, you know why. It's a great movie. But in the opening scene of Gladiator is one of the only times that you see actual structured, formalized Roman warfare of that day. And there's a scene, there's a part in that scene where the Roman soldiers are advancing on their enemies and they all come together with these doors that they're using as shields. And they lock them together and so as the enemy fires these arrows at them over and over, they just lock these shields and hide behind them. They throw some up top and not a single Roman soldier falls. And then as soon as the enemy is reloading their arrows, the Romans just open up, move forward, do it again. They don't, they don't lose a single person because they're advancing behind the shield. So, with the shield in mind, each of the previous pieces of armors, armor that we've, we've looked at has guarded us. But how do we keep the enemy backing away from us and giving us space? Because good battle strategy doesn't involve just sitting back and taking the blows from the enemy over and over. But it involves, <coughs> sorry, it involves creating space so that we can operate and maneuver against the enemy. If you're familiar with any kind of martial arts, that's one of the things. You don't just sit there in close quarters with them. You have to create space so that you can do your move, so that you can get at them. So this, the shield is the thing that gives us this breathing room. It gives us the space to make our counterattack, to make our move against the enemy. And this is where the sword comes in later on. So what we're doing with this is we're creating space, distance, and obstacles for the enemy to get over with the shield of faith, the thing that we hide behind. So Paul says to take in all circumstances. So this literally means exactly what it says, in every single circumstance. Don't wait for things to get hard. Don't wait for things to be difficult. In every circumstance, the good, the bad, the ugly, take the shield of faith. Hide behind Jesus. Hide behind Christ. And so we're told to take it up. So in all circumstances, take it up. So we've seen a lot of language like this as Paul talks about each piece of the armor. He constantly says things like take up, hold it up, you know, carry it. And they all mean kind of the same thing, but they're all a little bit different. So to take it up means to literally raise it in front of you, like that scene in Gladiator. They don't just hold a shield. They put it up in front of them. They utilize it to hide behind it. And so it's this shield of faith. So the word that Paul uses for shield is thurios, because the Romans used two types of shield. There was like the ceremonial shield that it, it was flashy, it looked cool, it was a little bit smaller, lighter, easier to carry. But then this thurios was a door. I mean, it was like a curved door that was layered with animal hides, and it was virtually impenetrable. And so they used this thing to hide behind because it could hide a whole person. It's not like Captain America who can hide behind this little circle shield. You know, there, there's this joke throughout the internet that Captain America is kind of like a turtle because he can hide behind this small shield. <laughs> but the Romans didn't need that. They just, they're like, fine, I'm going to put this door right in front of me so I can't be hit. So that's the concept of this shield that we're called to carry. Um, but it's the shield of faith. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is faith? So we turn to scripture. We turn to Hebrews 11, where we're told that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that we can't see. So if faith is the assurance of the things that we hope for, assurance is this firm foundation. It's a, subs it's a substantial reality made of, made of quality. So think of you know, the foundation to your home. 
you know, or when you're trying to secure a ladder, if you put a ladder up, you shake it to make sure, all right, I'm not going to fall when I step on this thing. You want to make sure that's a secure foundation. That's assurance is making sure that this is planted and it's not going to move. So that's the assurance that we have in faith, but it's the assurance of the things that we hope for. Things hoped for, um, the Greek translates to a joyful and a confident anticipation. When Beck and I were dating and even throughout the military, you know, early in our marriage, we had this constant hope, this joyful anticipation whenever I would come home from a deployment or a training assignment where she would be standing, you know, at the reception area waiting for me to come off the plane because she had this hope, she had this joyful anticipation that I was coming off the jet, that I was going to come home. And so we have this assurance, this solid foundation of these things that we're hoping for. And these things that we're hoping for ultimately come to Christ, the things that we hope for when Christ returns, the things that we hope for at the other end of eternity. Um, and then we have this evidence of these things unseen. So evidence, you know, if you've watched any kind of CSI, you know evidence is the thing that builds cases, it builds proof to, to offer convictions um, in court cases. But this evidence is, it's the proof of it. It's the tangible thing that we can look back and say, yes, this is why it's true. Of the things that we don't see. Um, 1 Peter 1, Peter talks about this. I'm going to flip over there real quick. So 1 Peter 3 verses, or I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to great mercy, he has caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, by God's power, or who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, through its test, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verses 3 through 9, but especially verse 8 right there, really hits on this evidence of things unseen. That though we have not seen him, Christ, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible joy and we are filled with glory. And then Peter goes on to say that the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And so this evidence, you know, we, we looked last week in Revelation where we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, the things that people can't take from us. And so this evidence of these things unseen is the stuff that we hold on to, the fact that we have seen Christ work in our lives. And so when we hide behind the shield of faith, we're hiding on two things, the assurance of things that we hope for and the evidence of the things that we haven't seen with our eyes yet. And all of this comes back to the work of Christ and the hope that we have of salvation in him, the, the fact that we have been saved. And then on the other side of the grave, we're entering into an eternity with him. So uh, I was listening to um, The Last Battle, the, the last Narnia book by C.S. Lewis. And in the end chapters of it, you kind of get this, C.S. Lewis does a phenomenal job of explaining Aslan's country, which is, you know, heaven. And I was driving in the car, uh, and as I was listening to it, I found myself, like, smiling uncontrollably, and tears filled my eyes, because I was like, this is just, like, an older book, but I, I found myself just 
super happy because it's one of the clearest pictures I've gotten of what heaven's going to feel like. Um, read those books if you haven't yet. They're great. So if we're hiding on the shield of faith, we're hiding behind this thing, we're hiding with these anticipations, with this evidence, with this hope of what we're going into. And so if our faith, if our faith in God is that shield, once again, we go back to the, one of the overarching themes of this passage of we can't do this on our own. We can't hide behind our own security, our own capabilities. We're hiding behind faith in what God has already done for us. He's already been victorious, and that's what we're hiding behind. He's already conquered sin and death and given us salvation, adopted us as sons and daughters. And so that's what we hide behind. That's our foundation. That's our protection against the onslaught of the enemy. Throughout Scripture, especially in the Psalms, David consistently refers to God as a shield. And so I'm going um, to go through these, uh, and you guys can write these down if you'd like. In Psalm 1830, uh, David refers to God as a shield for those who take refuge in him. In Psalm 28, 7, he says, the, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Psalm 121, that entire psalm, uh, David talks about how his help comes from the Lord. His defense comes from the Lord. The thing that he hopes in is the Lord. And then Proverbs 35, um, Solomon says, he is a shield for those who take refuge in him. So all throughout the Psalms, all throughout these, these, these passages, these praises to him, we get to see that it's when we hide behind him, it's when we take refuge in him that we are shielded from the onslaught of the enemy. You know, when we spend time in the word, for me personally, it's this really refreshing thing that no matter how chaotic things are around me, no matter how stressful work is or how crazy life is getting, if I can sit and, and saturate myself in the word, it's comforting. Even when it's dealing directly with a stressful situation, if it's on my mind, if I can sit down and focus on time in the word, then I find it to be a shield. It protects me from the rest of the things that are flying at me throughout the day. It, it's this thing that I can rest in. Um, and it proves faithful to Psalm 18:30 for a shield for those who take refuge in him. Um, and so we see that as we take refuge in this, in the shield, in our faith, that it extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one. So last April, um, Pastor Michael said that he, he was talking about, I think he was actually in First uh, Peter, but he was talking about spiritual warfare and how to stand strong. And one of the things that he had mentioned in that is the enemy is going to come to work with you. And he actually told a story about how somebody was a couple minutes late for work or uh, for church, and they were feeling great about coming to church, but they had to park pretty far away. And the whole time they walked in, they were grumbling, they were upset. By the time they sat down in the sanctuary, missed worship, they weren't paying attention. They were just angry. And so it's like I said a few weeks ago, where the enemy doesn't care that you're coming to church, but if he can get you in that seat and distract you, He's doing that. But if you, can come to, if you can come to church and you can sit down and say, I'm spending time in the Word. I'm here to hear what the Lord is saying to me. You're taking, you're taking uh, refuge in the shield of who He is, what He has done for you, and you are resting behind that. Um, but some of, the, some of the fiery darts, we had talked about this early um, in this series about the things that Satan uses against us and the ways that um, he creates battlefields for us, not just in our minds, but in our lives. So he brings about things like worry 
and distractions. When it comes to lessons or sermons or things you're reading in the word, he can shift your attention from yourself. Like what, is, what does this say about the Lord and what does this say about me to where he can make you think about another person and be like, well, my wife really needs to hear this. Instead of saying like, how can I be more patient? You, you think about that for, for somebody else, somebody you work with. You, Satan will try to trick you to not think how is this going to change me to be more like Christ? Instead, you get prideful because the enemy sneaks his way in there, and he's like, well, how can that person be more like Christ? You're doing pretty good. So how can they be more like Christ? Now get judgmental towards them. So that, that's a tactic that he uses. Um, he's going to take any opportunity to make your mind not ready to meet the Lord in worship, and spending time in the Word is a form of worship. Um, in our lives, we saw that uh, a few weeks ago, we saw that some of the battlefields are marriage and family issues. So are we hiding behind the shield of faith in marriage and family issues? Um, when we're trying to justify our sin, are we hiding behind the shield of faith instead of, you know, are we, are we hiding behind that and seeing, okay, let me create this space with the enemy so I can think clearly about this, so I can think biblically about this. Am I hiding behind the security of who God says that I am, of what he's done, rather than trying to justify this. Um, Things like lust, anger, gossip, laziness or idolatry, uh, false teachers and bad doctrine. Are we hiding behind the shield of faith? Are we hiding behind the victory that has already been won in Christ? To think clearly and biblically about these things. Going back to the concept of sober-mindedness that we've seen throughout all of Scripture as as we dive into each piece of armor, the concept of sober-mindedness comes up. So are we hiding behind the shield of faith to allow that sober-minded thinking, to have a defense prepared for what's going to come against us? Um, Isolation is another thing. You know, are we hiding behind the fact that we are called to be in community with one another? Are Are we resting behind faith that, you know, even amidst the pandemic, if we were able to meet together, were you meeting together because you trusted that God was going to, you know, reward your faithfulness to continue to meet with believers, whether it was in your home or faithfully attending church? Were you being faithful to be obedient to what he said, thinking biblically about these things? Um, And finally, in Exodus 14 and in Psalm 46, we're told to be still because the Lord will fight for you. And that's the, that is the image of the shield of faith. The Roman soldiers in gladiator and also just in actual warfare, they weren't hiding behind their own ability to dodge arrows or defend themselves. They just set the shield in place and hunkered down behind it and said, this shield is going to stop it. This shield is going to protect me. And so that's what they did. And that's what we're called to do when we put our faith in Christ is we, we sit down and we say, Christ can do this. Christ is my defense. Christ is my shield. And I'm hiding here. I'm hiding in him as my refuge, as my shield, and he is my protection. So remember that the enemy doesn't care what you're doing as long as you're not sold out for Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters, he, he says that the enemy doesn't care about any passion that you have as long as it's not passion for Jesus. And so he's going to try to trick us away from having passion for Jesus. So we wear all this armor to defend against these attacks. But if we don't have any offensive weaponry, then we're just going to sit there and take these hits from the enemy over and over again. And that turns into, in warfare speech, that's called um, a, a siege war, a siege battle. And the tactic that was used, you know, in, in battle sieges is they weren't actually fighting. They were just cutting off supplies and they were waiting out 
people that were inside of cities. If they couldn't get water, they couldn't get food, animals, resources, they would just starve them out until the city that was under attack finally went, fine, we give up. Can we just eat some food? And so if we're not sitting there fighting back actively against the enemy, we're just in this siege war against Satan. So we are given an offensive weapon. We are given the sword of the spirit. And so this allows us to strike back with the truth, which we know is the word of God. So this sword allows us to cut deep against the enemy and push him back and cause him to flee from us. This sword is what makes it a fight and not warding off being besieged by the enemy. So the sword, um, the sword was, the, the word that Paul uses in here for the sword of the spirit is makaira. And it's the exact same word that is used in Hebrews 4.12, where the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's the same word, makaira, in both passages. And it was, I mean, when you watch, again, I'm going to keep referencing Gladiator because it's a great movie, but Roman warfare, it's, it's really relevant. Um, the sword that is constantly used, it, it's a short sword, but it's sharp and it's, it's double-edged. And so it does, you don't have to hold it a certain way to make sure it's effective. You don't have to think about where's my cutting edge. You swing it, you stab with it, it's effective. And so <clears throat> this, this sword of the spirit... And then this living and active sword that is the word of God, it pierces, let me flip over to it because it's just such, such uh, great language that's used. So Hebrews uh, 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all who are naked and all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. And so this this sword, this makaira of the spirit, this word of God that's living and active, it pierces to the whole person. It pierces to to, to everything that's within us. You know, it says that we, we have to give an account to him, and so we are all naked and exposed to him. There's nothing that can be hidden because this sword of the Spirit, the, the Word of God, gets to every aspect of us. There's nothing hidden in here. <clears throat> There's nothing hidden in us that this won't expose. And so this sword of the Spirit, its effectiveness, it belongs to the Spirit. Um, it, belo- it belongs to God himself, which we get to see in... Matthew 4, uh, I'm sorry, not Matthew 4, we get to see in Luke 12, where Jesus tells us, don't be concerned about what you're going to say when they bring you before uh, these authorities, because the Spirit will teach you in that moment what you are to say. And so if it's the sword of the Spirit, he knows how to effectively wield it. If we're spending time training with it, if we're spending time in the Word, then the Spirit is going to be faithful to bring those things to mind when it's time to do that. But that's important that we're training with it. Um, think about any time that you get into either your spouse's car or rental car, or just anything new. You kind of have to get a feeling for the acceleration, the brake, the steerings, all of those things. You got to set the seat, the mirrors, because it's not your car. You, you need to know how to drive it. So you have to adjust to it. You have to get used to it. You have to train yourself to use that. The same with any new job that you're going into, any new hobby you're trying to pick up. You have to train yourself to where it becomes you don't think about it. You don't think about driving your car. Yesterday we were driving in Becca's car and um, 
compared to my car, hers is a little jumpier. And so I tend to have a heavier foot. And so as we'll pull out of a turn, Bennett's in the backseat going, whoa, Dada's going fast. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bennett. Um, but I have to be consciously aware of how how hard I'm accelerating in Becca's car. Compared to my car, it's a little slower, so I have to have more of a lead foot to make sure I'm not holding up traffic. But it's the same thing. If we're not spending time in the word, we're going to be jumpy. We're going to be causing problems when it comes to us attempting to use scripture. We're going to fumble over it. But if we're training with it, if we're spending time in the word every single day, that's giving the spirit the ability to to. I mean, psychologically, we're putting these things in our mind, into our memory, to where the Spirit is going to use the way that the Lord has created our minds to work to recall these things. To where when you find yourself in situations or conversations at work or facing temptation, then the Spirit's going to be like, I'm going to teach you what to say in this moment, and I'm going to give you the scripture that you need. That's what we get to see in Matthew 4. Christ was proficient with his, his knowledge of scripture. As a man, he had spent his time learning, growing in favor among uh, uh, God and man. You know, he was growing and he was spending time in the temple. He was learning. And so when he faced his temptations in the desert, he responds with, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by the word of God and everything that comes from it. So the word of God sustains us. So we need to keep that in mind. We need to think about that as we move forward in our daily walks, that if we're not spending time in the word to hide behind one, the shield of faith, to give us the room to create space against the enemy, if we're not utilizing that, then we're not going to be able to wield the sword. If we're not training with the sword, we can't effectively use it against the enemy. We can't pierce and show him like, no, you're lying to me, Satan. This is what the word of God says. I'm going to use it effectively against you, and I'm going to defend myself, and you're going to flee from me. Um, we also see that when we train and get familiar with the, with the word of God, it keeps us pure. Psalm 119 is, if scripture is a love letter from God to us, Psalm 119 is David's love letter to God about the love letter. It's his, it's his response. Because Psalm 119, as long as it is, is just constantly, Lord, I love your word. How can I keep my way pure? If I'm in your word, I cherish it. I love it. It's, it's beautiful. It, it's amazing to me. And, and I can't live without it. Um, and so the word of God, the sword of the spirit, it's allowing the spirit to teach us what to say when we need it. It's also, it's sustaining us, Matthew 4. It's what we live by. And it keeps us pure. It keeps us with our minds focused on Christ. Psalm 1 says that the person who meditates on the word of God day and night, they're like a tree planted by streams of water and they produce f- fruit in due season and they don't wither and they don't pass away. And so those are the things that when we spend time in the word, when we meditate on God's word, we have sunk our roots deep into this life-giving stream that is constantly flowing by us. We're not going to worry about drought. We're not going to worry about things like that because we have this life source. We have the source of truth right here by us. So when we wield this sword, there's two different ways that we can that we can wield it that we see through scripture. We wield it as a weapon that tears into the whole man. We saw that in Hebrews 4. It tears into the body, the soul, and the spirit. Nothing is hidden. We're all naked and exposed before the one that we have to give account for. So when we read scripture, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what does this say about God? That's our first question. And then what does this say about me? How do I, and then third, how do I respond in light of those two things? 
So if this is the truth about God, and this is the truth about me, according to Scripture, what does Scripture call me to do now? What is my, what is my response? And so we had talked a couple weeks ago about thinking sober-mindedly, thinking biblically when we go into our workplaces or when we go into confrontations. What does the Word say about what's happening right now? What, is God's, what does it say about God, what we're dealing with? What does it say about me being redeemed, being purchased by the blood of Christ, being an adopted son and daughter? Okay, now, with those things in mind, how should I respond? Should I turn a table or should I, you know, be compassionate? You know, that's how we learn to behave like Christ is by spending time in his word. Um, Exactly like Philip was saying, we don't have to wonder what the will of God is when we spend time with him. I don't have to wonder how Becca is going to respond to a situation because, We've been married for as long as we've been married, and I know, well, this is what Becca would do. And so it's the same thing when we're spending time in the Word to where we don't, it it becomes natural to just express the fruit of the Spirit because we're abiding in Christ. John 15, when we abide, we bear fruit. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I almost sang a song. Um, We've got one with Bennett, and it's fun. Um... But when we abide in Christ, we bear that fruit in due season, Psalm 1. So it comes forth when it should come forth. When we need gentleness, gentleness will come forth. When we need kindness, peace, patience, those come forth because we're spending time in the word. So we use it as a weapon, but we also use it as a tool for sanctification and discipleship. So in Ephesians 5, right before this, a charge that Paul gives husbands is... um, is to husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so he can present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, any such thing. She might be holy and without blemish. So husbands, you're supposed to you know, wash your wife in the word, just as Christ washes the church, his bride, through the word. So if you're having an issue with your wife, and the same thing goes for, for wives, if you're having an issue with your husband, you know, think about it biblically when you come to them. Don't think about it personally because Christ has unified us as one flesh, as a team to do ministry for him. Philip says it all the time that our wives are our easers. And so we don't want to, you know, we don't want to handicap or cripple our aid in a time of trouble. Instead, we want to strengthen them up. So how do we do that, husbands? We spend time in the word and we ask our spouses, our wives, how are you, how's your time in the word? What is the Lord showing you? And you talk about these things together. If you guys are each having independent quiet times, that's fantastic. But if you're not talking about those quiet times, that's a foothold that Satan has in your marriage. So get over that. Like ask Christ to give you those opportunities. Husbands, be proactive in creating those opportunities to talk to your wives about the things that you guys are learning. Um, 2 Timothy 3 is another tool of sanctification and discipleship because we're told in 2 Timothy that the word of God is good for all types of teaching, correction, and training in in righteousness. And so when we're spending time in the word, we're not only being sanctified, we're being discipled. And so if you're discipling somebody or if you're being discipled, evaluate that based on questions like, what are you learning in the word? What is God showing you? That's, you know, Philip asks every every Sunday morning. What's the Lord showing you? How's your time in the Word been? Because it's training us, it's discipling us, directly and indirectly, and it's sanctifying us as we spend this time in the Word. So it comes back to this point that we can't, again, do this on our own. We have to spend time in the Word with the Spirit who knows how to wield this sword 
and he serves as our trainer, teaching us how to swing this, how to, how to stab with it, how to effectively use it against the schemes of the devil. And we hide behind the shield of faith that defends us, that protects us, that guards us because of the victory that's already been won. Um, Spurgeon said that the word of God is always the most precious to the man who lives upon it. And the more time that I spend in the word, the more true that becomes. The more I love it, the more I spend time with it. Just like with Becca, the more time I spend with her, the more I love her. Um, any, I mean, all of us who are married or are about to be married understand that concept very well. We got married because we like to spend time with each other. And we stay married because we enjoy spending time with each other. You know, and uh, I heard someone say the other day that even in the, the ugly moments of their marriage, they're so grateful to be fighting with their wife for their marriage because even the bad moments, they're spending time with their wife resolving a matter, growing stronger together. And so, but he had mentioned that he does that because he's trying to think biblically about these things. He's spending time in the word. When he's dealing with issues, he spends time in the word saying like, Lord, how should I approach this as a husband to present my wife washed in the word? So if you're not spending consistent time in the word, then the word's not going to be available for you in those moments. Uh, Philippians 4.8 tells us to think about the things that are true, honorable, uh, righteous, pure, lovely, and with good reputation. Scripture is all of these things. The time in the word is all of these things. What is true? John 17, uh, Jesus prays like, you know, wash them in, in your word because your word is truth. Uh, we also see it in Psalm 119 where we're told that every word of God is true. Um, what is honorable? You know, things that are honorable, Titus 2, uh, we're told about, you know, honorable older men of the faith. Hebrews 5, we're told that, uh, you know, we should study together. You know, even if we're, uh, we should be chewing on meat, but we're still drinking milk. Well, one way we can do that is we work together. We spend time in the word. Uh, and then again, 1 Timothy 3 <coughs> I mean, 2 Timothy 3, we're told that it teaches and it corrects us and it trains us for godliness. It trains us for honorable righteousness. So what is honorable, those things come from spending time in the word. What is righteous? Isaiah 45 tells us that the word of God is righteous. Uh, Things that are pure. Proverbs 30 tells us the word of God is pure. Uh, Things that are lovely. Psalm 119, we're told again, it's it's lovely. The way that uh, David responds is that the word of God is lovely to him and things that have good reputation. Psalm 8 tells us that the Lord is famous in all the earth. Well, if the Lord is famous, then his words are famous because it is the word of God. And so these things, what is true, what is honorable, what is righteous, what is pure, what is lovely, what has good reputation, these are all scripture. So if we're called in Philippians to set our mind on these things, to dwell on these things, we do that by spending time in scripture and we accomplish all of that at once. When we spend time in scripture, we think on these things and we meditate on them. But like Philip brought up this morning, James tells us not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers. Because if we're just hearers, we deceive ourselves. Like somebody who looks at themselves in the mirror, walks away and forgets what they look like. And so we need to be spending time in the word and meditating on it day and night. So we're like a tree planted by streams of water to bring forth that fruit. We abide in Christ and when we abide, we bear much fruit. And so if we're wanting to be in relationship with God, there's two things that need to happen. We need to speak to him in prayer and we need to hear from him in scripture. So if you ever find yourself asking like, why is God silent? Why isn't God showing me what to do in this circumstance? 
go back and say, how much time am I spending in the word? Ask yourself, am I able to think about this biblically because I'm spending time biblically? Because if you are spending time in the word, the Lord is faithful and his, his word does not return empty-handed. And so when we're spending time in the word, we're going to know what to do in these circumstances. We're going to know what the will of God is, and it's going to become second nature to us. So that's half of a relationship with God is hearing from him. The other side, what we'll look at next week, is prayer. You know, the, what, what is prayer in the context of how Paul is calling us to do this? Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert with all perseverance to make supplication for all the saints. And so that's going to be what we're looking at next week is how are we doing the give part of a give and take with, with Christ in this relationship? How are we responding with our time? Um, it, it's going to be exciting to, to look at that. So think about those things as you move into your week, as, as you go about, as, as you face these onslaughts of attacks from the enemy. How are you hiding behind this shield of faith? along with all of the other pieces of armor, you know, with the helmet of salvation, how are you thinking sober-mindedly? How are you thinking biblically about how the Lord has saved you? How are you wearing the Lord's righteousness as a breastplate to defend yourself, to keep yourself pure um, in the way that you conduct yourselves? The belt of truth, you know, kind of being central, though it's a little hidden, how is it supporting this righteousness? Are you using truth to gird yourself, to defend yourself, to prepare for this battle, this heavy work, and the shoes of the shoes of the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're equipped to go marching into battle because we have the gospel strapped to our feet. But Paul, in every single piece of the armor, he uses intentional language. We can't just slip on a pair of, of combat boots and not lace them up. You put them on and you lace them down tight. You put your belt on and you put it on tight so your pants don't fall down. You know, you secure this body armor and this helmet to you so they work effectively. We have to be intentional with the usefulness of each of these. With the shield, we hide behind the strength and the power of what God has already done. With the sword, we have to train and spend time with it, spend time in the word to use it effectively. Um, so it, it is this intentional application of each of these things, again, through daily disciplines, of, of walking with Jesus. Uh, so I've really enjoyed doing this. I'm looking forward to next week talking about prayer. But I just want to encourage you guys as you go out this week, make sure that you're spending intentional time in the Word. If, if you're not fairly consistent with quiet times or you find yourself struggling, um, somebody said once, tomorrow's success is based on today's preparation. And so if you don't, one of the things I try to do is I set the coffee maker so I don't have to get up and make coffee in the morning. It's set to go off. So when I walk out, I just have to pour my cup and then I go sit down and I know where I'm going to be spending time in the word. If you're sitting down each morning, you're like, all right, Lord, show me where I'm going to read today. You know, he's faithful to do that, but you're going to find greater success when you're like, Lord, I know what I want to talk to you about and I know what I want to hear from you. I'm spending time in John, you know, He's going to be faithful to show up there. You always have better conversations with your spouse. When you sit down, you know what you're going to talk about. Um, and so our relationship with God is not much different. So try to be more intentional with your quiet times this week. Um, set yourself up for success. If that means putting your phone in another room so you're not distracted, do that. Uh, set yourself up for success to spend time with him this week. And you know, look for how he will, the spirit will teach you in the moment what you need to be, what you need to say. Whose voice can come anyway?
If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Married Now What podcast is a ministry of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It is meant to be a resource for in-depth Bible study for couples striving to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org. Come alive, our God will not be moved. Your word for